Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. All right. Did you guys bring your Bibles to church today? Uh, I, I hope you did. And uh, if you didn't, it's your first time to church or first time in a while, and you're like, oh, I knew I was forgetting something. Uh, you can use your phone or a tablet to follow along in God's Word, and I'd really encourage you to do that, all right? Because uh, at church, Sometimes, a lot of times, what happens is the preacher's up on a stage distant from everyone. And to be honest with you, I've preached in a lot of venues where you can't even see the people that you're preaching to uh, because of lights and stuff. Uh, But man, we want to be a little bit different of a church. So the message time is not a time for you to disengage and just engage when things are entertaining, all right? This is the people of God here to listen to a word from God, all right? And that's what we believe this time is. So, um, so if you can't engage with me, let's engage with the Lord today. And I want to hear a word from God today, and uh, I trust that that's why you're here as well, not to hear from me, but to hear a word from our amazing, holy, beautiful God. And, uh, and so uh, follow along. You can download the uh, Bible app. Uh, many of them are fine, I'm sure, and, uh, and follow along with us today. We're going to be uh, in the book of Genesis. So we've, uh, last week we launched a brand new sermon series called Genesis, and, uh, and we're so excited to have this opportunity together uh, to read through. We're doing Genesis a little bit different. So normally we like to take books of the Bible. We'll read them verse by verse. So when we get done, you will have read every verse of the, of the Bible. And we've either talked about it on Sunday morning or you dig deeper in your community group. Uh, Genesis, we're doing a little bit different because it would literally take us two to three years, uh, which I'm not opposed to, uh, by the way, but um, uh, realize maybe that's not the best thing for a, a church that's on, less than two years old. And so, uh, so what we're going to do is treat it like a survey of the book of Genesis. So we're going to go through, hit some of the high points. But listen, here's the best news ever. It's just because I don't read it to you doesn't mean you can't read it yourself. And so you can actually take the Bible and the things we didn't get to that you go, man, he, I wish he would have gotten to that. You can read it this week. And if you have any questions, you just shoot me an email at wes at impactfxbg.church. And we're just going to roll with that joke for the rest of the series, all right? Um, man, uh, so today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, last week we talked about Genesis 1 and a little bit of Genesis 2. We talked about the creation story. And we talked about God's design and how God created. And, and I, I mean, I, I just want to say, man, I was so encouraged by that, our time together. It was so cool to get a chance that, yes, we talked about it, but we also just spent time and let it, let it talk to us right? And, uh, and I just loved that time we had together. And so I hope that that maybe stirred our hearts up a little bit. And, and if you missed that, you can go back and uh, listen to the podcast or watch the live stream. But uh, man, we, uh, that really is a launching pad for us to get where we're going to go today, all right? Um, and so I, I don't know, I'm just a show of hands. Anyone here, uh, maybe when you were a child or I don't know, maybe even as an adult, anybody here ever get lost before? Okay. All right. All right. Wow. Um, I actually was hoping for less hands than that. I had a little bit more confidence in us as a church, but uh, 
No, yeah, um, that's good. I don't know if I'm more uh, disturbed by how many hands went up or how unashamedly the hands went up. Um, uh, I, I, I know that I was thinking about this the other day and I was talking to Ellen a little bit about it. But uh, this is amazing because most people like and maybe even a lot of you will never know the joys. But I wondered we were driving through uh, Washington, D.C. And we were just in the middle of, of D.C., which, you know, if you've ever driven through Washington, D.C., it makes zero sense. OK, like it, it makes zero sense. It's just, the difference is the locals, those who actually live there, have just come to grips with the fact that it makes no sense and just do whatever they want to do. All right. Uh, everybody else, we try to make it make sense and then we get honked out all right because they're like there's a free sidewalk right there what are you doing on the road you know and so there's all of this all of this stuff about that and so we were we were driving through and and I, I, we were just sitting at a, at a light and I was trying to figure out when this light turns green I'm trying to figure out where the people are going to be walking so that I don't hit anyone, all right? That's, if you're in a car, you are my second priority not to hit, all right? Try not to hit the people without a car, all right? Um, and then I'm trying to, to monitor and make sure, because then you have people walking, but then you got people on these electric scooters, right? And uh, they just come out of nowhere, and so you've got to watch for them as well. Um, and then you've got the cars, but we were at an intersection where it wasn't a typical four-way. I think there were maybe like five different and they were all in different directions. And, and then I was looking at the GPS, and I don't know if you've ever been here driving around D.C., you look at your GPS, and even you have no idea doesn't know where you're at. Like, even, even Google Maps is like, good luck. I have no idea what's going on. And I'm just sitting here looking, and it thinks I'm on this street, but I'm on this street, and I'm trying to get here. So I look at the street signs, and I have no idea what direction or street I'm on. And it was just, and I remember looking over at Ellen, and I go, Ellen, how did, how did anyone ever get around this city with MapQuest directions? Do you know what I'm talking about? And everyone over the age of 30 laughs. Like, this is, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google it this week. And I don't need, does MapQuest even still exist? Can you still do that? It, no, it does not. Oh, no way. Well, I guess Blockbuster still has a website, so I guess there's hope for everybody. But I, I, was, I was really looking at that, and I was just thinking, man, seriously, MapQuest is where you would, what would happen is the night before you were going to go somewhere, you would go on, you'd go to map to map.com and notice I'm doing this because there was no this, all right? You would get on, you go to mapquest.com, you would type in the address you wanted to start from, and then you would type in the address you wanted to end to, and it printed out 29 pages worth of directions, all right? And, and, and no pictures, like no pictures, all right? Or if they did, there were pictures from like the 1970s that they pulled off of Google Earth. And so there, there's no, none of that, and it's just when you get to this, turn right. The worst is when MapQuest first started, it wasn't turn right, it was, it was head northbound to the, like I'm sorry, I'm not a sailor. Like I have no idea what that means to head northbound, you know, anywhere. And so I'm just wondering like how did anyone survive during the map like seriously if I gave to you some of you if I took your phone and gave you map quest directions you wouldn't even be able to get to work tomorrow like it's serious like it's a big a big thing and um and so I just know like for some of us we can we we've been lost we we understand what that's like to be lost maybe um you even know what it's like to 
you know, and I'm not talking about just like, but you know, you know what it's like to maybe be with someone like you're with a friend and you lose them, you're not sure where they're at, and um, and now it's so easy because you just get on the phone and text them, and if they don't respond to your text, you track them or something. You know, there's like apps, and you can figure out where they're at, and and if not, you can just text someone who works for the government and hack them, and you can do all of this different stuff. All right, it's a joke, people. All right, everybody's like getting nervous. Um, listen, so, well, <laughs> that was nervous laughter. Everybody's like. Oh, yeah, yeah, joke, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's only people who actually work for the government. Um, so I, I, I look at that, and I was like, man, we, so whether it is you've been lost or maybe you've just felt lost in life, we know what it's like to have this feeling of directionless, being directionless, not having any direction, feeling like we're lost, and the feelings and the emotions that come along with that. And luckily, the Bible actually knows that that's a common human emotion And so the Bible actually starts off talking about what to do about that emotion, where that emotion came from of lostness, and what God is going to do about that lostness. And so um, if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage everyone here today to take notes, not because I have anything awesome to say, but because I believe God's Word is the Word of God that is speaking to us. And I would hate for you to hear something that's life-changing and forget it when you wake up from your nap this afternoon. Um, So I want you to write this down. Um, Write this down, okay, if you're taking notes. The problem is always sin, and the answer is always, anybody know? Jesus. Is it up there? No, it's not. The problem is always sin, and the answer is always Jesus. All right? And so I want you guys to, to hear that. Now, now, listen, I realize that is an oversimplification. Because you're going, Brandon, I walked in here today, I got problems, and I don't know if I would say, you know, that all of my problems are a result of sin. But I want you to hear me say that it's not just sin in your life. We were not just, uh, we're not just a bunch of sinners. We actually were born into a sinful existence, a sinful world. Like um, the psalmist writes in Psalm 51, um, from my mother's womb, I have been a sinner, right? Like, like just your existence is a sinful existence. And, and it's not just humans, but it's like all of creation. Everything we read about last week has been marred and, and uh, bruised by sin that has entered the world. And so the problem is always sin. And the answer, at least if you're a good church person, is always Jesus, right? Um, And so I want to just say today, we are going to be talking about the big, ugly, nasty church word, sin. And a lot of times we we talk about that at church, and I understand, man, like sometimes we we hear about that at church and we go, oh yeah, different from whatever other Sunday, because the church has been accused a lot of uh, just always talking about sin and never talking about the good news that there's a way out of sin, right? Um, And so if this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time to church in a while, you might think, yep, that's exactly what I thought. I'm just talking about sin. This is where they're going to beat me over the head about all the wrong things that I've done. And, um, but I hope that today you will notice a difference. Not that we're not going to talk about sin, but in how we talk about sin. Because, see, sin is a problem. Sin has always been a problem. But there is an answer to the problem. And so you may be here and go, okay, I've heard the church word sin 
sin, and you, when you think sin, you might immediately start thinking about wrong things you've done or, or bad things you've done, right? Um, but listen, sin is not just the things that you feel bad about. Um, let me give you just a very broad, basic definition of sin. Okay, this isn't like from a, a deep theology book or anything like that. It's just kind of a general statement for us to work on today because I'm going to say the word sin, but I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about, right? I ain't trying to call anybody out today. I'm just putting us all, all out there. So this is how we would define sin. Sin is simply going against God's design. Sin is simply going against God's design. What we read about last week is that God has a design, God has an order to things, God created things, and at the end of God creating things, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, right? Remember that? He kept saying there, I made sun and the moon and the stars, and behold, I saw that it was good, it was good. And then he makes man and woman and tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and he says, actually, humans, that is very good, and 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 says, man, that is very good. And so he creates all of this, and it's beautiful, and it's working in a beautiful array of God's design. Um, and then sin comes in, and sin literally mars or, or goes against what God's design is. Okay, So here's what I want us to do today. We're going to read all of Genesis chapter 3, Okay, all at one time. I want you to hear it. And some of you may go, Brandon, I've heard this story. I've got the coloring sheets from this story. I know this story. But maybe it's been a while since you've actually read it yourself, word for word, what the Bible says, not just what a Sunday school teacher taught you or not just what you read on the Internet, but a, a specific, like, from God's Word. So we're going to read it all at one time, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make a few points for us. Sound good? All right, Genesis chapter 3, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay. Now let's stop right there. Let me explain a little bit to you. I know I said we we're going to read all at once, but I want you to understand. Okay. It starts with a serpent. Um, that serpent is the evil one, the devil, Satan. Uh, many different names in the Bible for this, the enemy, the adversary. Um, that's who this serpent is. But I want you to notice something very important as we go throughout this that he was um, uh, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So here's what I want you to understand about the devil. And this is why we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about the devil, but instead talking about the sin, okay? The reason why is because the devil is under God's authority, okay? You need to understand that and know that. That yes, they are at war, but it is not because God is, losing some battles, okay? That the enemy is, is among all of creation and one day God is going to rid the world of the enemy and you need to understand that even the enemy is subject to God. He gets to do nothing outside of God's sovereign control. That he too is under the spells of creation. That the Lord God, that's how big our God is, 
All right? I want you to understand that's whose side you're on. That's how victorious you are, is that even the worst enemy of all of human creation is still under the authority of a sovereign God. All right, let's kick back up in verse 4. Uh, but the serpent said to the woman, uh, you, won't, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, you need to understand here, it says that they knew that they were naked. You need to understand that in chapter 2, it says specifically that Adam and Eve, all right, um, unashamed. They had no clue. It was just part of their freedom, all right? Um, and so, so now something has changed. Something has changed. All right, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Free of what hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Well, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, I, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. All right, now we'll hang out just a second because I'm, I'm not going to be able to get to all of this. I want to explain some of what's, what's happening, all right? So what's happening is that God has, has looked at them and said, okay, who, where'd you go? And Adam's like, I don't, I don't know, you know, the woman that you gave me. In fact, God, you gave it to me. And she's like, he's like, Eve? And he's like, I don't know the, the serpent that you created is, is gave it to me. And so they're all playing, you know, he did it, she did it. It's like talking to my three children about something, you know. It's like, and they're doing all of this game. And so God finally just starts handing out, handing out curses and says, well, here are going to be the consequences of your sin. And he starts with the serpent. And, uh, and he starts there, and he says, listen, this is going to be a, a big problem. And he says, this is your destiny, right? Basically, your destiny is um, you're going to go around, you're going to try to do all of these things, but you're always going to be limited. You're never going to be able to do this. And then he says in verse 15, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, between you and humankind, there's going to be enmity. That's where we get the phrase that Satan is the enemy, okay? God says, I'm going to now, you're going to become an enemy. And then he says, what's going to happen is that um, uh, between her offspring is that you're going to bruise the offspring's heel and then 
the offspring is going to bruise your head, is going to stomp your head in. Okay? What he's doing is foreshadowing to sending Jesus. That it is from the woman, that it is from an offspring of man, that the Messiah is going to come, that Jesus is going to come. And Satan's going to bruise his heel. In other words, he's going to get crucified, he's going to be beaten up, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be bruised. But then Jesus is going to rise from the dead and smash the head of the enemy in and say, now it's done, it's finished, it's over you lose. And that's what the resurrection was, okay? So how amazing is it that right here in the third chapter of the Bible, God says, you've already sinned, but don't worry, because I've already made a way out of your sin. Isn't that amazing? They're like literally, so some people wonder like, well, why would God create us if he knew we were going to sin? Because God created you with a rescue plan. Like, yes, God knew that, but he did not create that and then respond to it like, oh, I didn't account for that. I didn't think they were going to do that. No, he said, I'm going to do that, and I know they're going to do that, but I'm going to rescue them. And so right here in in Genesis chapter 3, we see God's plan already to destroy the enemy, to destroy Satan, and provide a rescue plan for all of mankind. Uh, So the woman... He says, your curses are going to be, uh, childbearing is going to be really hard, so uh, birth is going, to, is going to stink for you. And then he also says, um, you're going to want to rule over uh, man, but you're not going to be able to. So he says, uh, in other words, you're going to always want to rule over your husband, um, but I've given your husband the leadership role in your relationship. And so you're not going to, so in other words, there's going to be conflict between man and woman in the relationships. All right. Um, And then in verse 17, let's pick back up. Verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken um, for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. So to man, God says, you're going to have to work for everything now. It's not going to just grow and be abounding to you. You're going to have to work for it, and it's going to be really hard because now there's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles, there's going to be things that happen, and and it's going to make it really hard for you. Thus, creation is going to rebel against you. and, And so that's where we get all of this. Isn't that amazing that we still feel the effects of this curse, right? Um, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. All right, let's finish this up in verse 20. It says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, um, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, so here's what I want us to do today. I want to share with you guys three effects of sin, three consequences of sin that we get right here in the Word. And then I want to come back and share three things that Jesus has done for us to combat that sin. Problem of taking notes, write this down. Here's the, the first problem with sin. Remember we said the problem is always sin, and the answer is always what? Jesus, all right? So, uh, so here's the first problem with sin. Number one, write this down, guilt. Guilt. It's amazing, right? 
that sin induces guilt. Uh, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, like you understand this, like you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And I believe with all of my heart, you cannot live in sin and not experience guilt. Um, back up in verse 7, um, if you look at uh, Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So right here, this is coming out of a place of guilt. They sinned, they messed up, they knew that they went against God's design and what God had told them, and so they immediately tried to make up for it. They immediately tried to take things in their own hands and, man, let's make let's sew some fig leaves, let's put some clothes on, like let's try to make up for this mistake. And guys, that's where we come from a place of guilt. Guilt tells you that you have messed up and somehow, some way, you are responsible for fixing this mistake. And that's what causes us to live in a state of guilt. I've done something wrong and now I need to make it right. Guilt is actually knowing what is right from wrong. And the fact is, like all, all of us, every single one of us here today, without Jesus, we are starting line, okay? We don't start out really good, okay? Our starting line, the way we start off is we start off standing before a holy, perfect, amazing God, guilty. And we don't understand that in our context because in our context, at least what we say on paper is our judicial system is we are innocent until proven what? Guilty. But guys, the truth is we actually all start off as guilty. When it comes to standing before God, like we know He is who is right. The Bible has a word for that called righteousness. He is who is right. He is righteous. And we are sinful. We are not. God is so beautiful. He's so holy. He's so perfect. And guys, we are so broken. And the fact is, like we know it, right? Like, I've never counseled with someone before who, when we started talking about brokenness and things that were wrong, and I looked at them and said, man, it just sounds like, sounds like there's really some brokenness. Sounds like it's really messy. Sounds like some things were messed up that you did and some things messed up that this person, the fact that no one's ever looked at me and go, oh, I never thought about that. Never considered the fact that everybody was messed up and people did wrong things. The fact is, guys, we know our brokenness. We are not shocked over it. Um, and then we feel guilty when we start trying to cover it up. We start making excuses, right? We start playing the, uh, the blame game, trying to, to do all of this stuff. And, and here's what I know. that actually, when, when we feel guilty and start trying to fix our own mistakes, it actually makes things messier. Let me ask you a question. You ever... You ever drops like ketchup or mustard on your clothes? Yeah? Yeah, me too. And, uh, and when I've done that, here's what I know. The reason that I always sigh and feel, I, when, when I drop ketchup or mustard or something like that on my clothes, I, I just feel very defeated. It, because I know in that moment, there is nothing that's going to happen to resolve this situation. There's nothing. There, there is nothing that's going to, it is done. It is, it is, it is done. Because the moment that I, someone says, oh, I'm sorry, here's a napkin. Well, that's the worst thing you could do. 
because now I've got the napkin and I go to wipe the, the ketchup off and what's going to happen? Now it's just embedded into the shirt for the rest of eternity. That's all there is. It's done. It's finished. There is no possible way with all the advancements we've made in modern technology, you would think somebody would figure out a mustard stain. But it is impossible. Okay? It, it just can't happen. Well, guys, when we try, when we know that we're sinful, when we know that we're broken, when we know we've done something that is a own situations, guys, without Jesus, we make it messier. We make more of a mess of our lives and other people's lives because we cannot fix our brokenness. And that makes us feel guilty. And so the first problem with sin is guilt. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the second problem with sin, is shame. The second problem with sin is shame. If you go back and look at verses 8 and 9, um, it talks about how they, it literally says they felt ashamed. They realized that they were naked. Like that's what sin did. Sin opened their eyes to something that once was so pure and innocent and blameless to now all of a sudden something that caused them to feel shame. And you go, well, well, Brandon, how do we know? I mean, I know the Bible says they felt ashamed, but how do, you, what are, how do you know? Because in verse 8 it says they felt ashamed, and the first thing they did in their shame was hide from God. And that's what we do when we feel ashamed, right? That's why when you do something that makes you feel kind of embarrassed or ashamed, we say things like, oh, girl, I just wanted to crawl under the table and hide, right? That's why, because that's how it makes us feel when we do something embarrassing or something that brings shame on us, it immediately makes us want to hide. And that's what happens. Sin causes shame, listen to me, in our relationship with God and in our relationship with other people. And so that tends to be our first default is let's hide from God. But let me tell you this. Shame actually, if you're, a, if you're a believer, a Christian, shame usually doesn't start by hiding from God. It usually starts by hiding from other people. Because if you hide from other people, then when you go hide from God, we've convinced ourselves that nobody's going to know. Because I've already hid from them. And so I'll say things like, no, I'm good, I just need a break, I'm with God. But in reality, we, our first step away from God, listen to me, is always a step away from God's people. Always. And, and this is why community is so dang important. Because, because it helps us deal with our shame in a gospel-centered way. Because, brother and sister, Jesus has already dealt with your shame. Um, it says, man, <clears throat> their shame also started making them play a blame game, right? Because they, because they felt shame, right? When I think about shame, I, it's, they start playing the blame game. Well, it's the, Adam says, it's the woman you gave me, right? He and literally, in one sentence, blames God and the only other human on earth. Is this not so typical of us still today, Right? Well, I don't know. I just know that this happened and it's God's fault and that other person's fault. That's all I know. Like that was immediate. Like he, he threw the only two people in existence under the bus in one sentence. And then God points his way to, he says, well, I'll deal with you in a minute. He goes to Eve and says, Eve, what have you done? 
And she looks and says, the serpent did it. It's the snake's fault. It's the, it, you know, like, it, it's his fault. It's not my fault. I didn't want to do it, uh, but, but he made me do it. And so we, all we do when we start to feel ashamed is we just start to shift blame. But, brother and sister, what if I told you that even when you feel shame, that God has a plan to rescue you out of it? And that the solution is not to run away from him in your shame, but actually to run towards him in your shame. Um, I have gotten an opportunity to travel all over the world, see God work around the world, places like um, I've been around people uh, from places like Asia and India and Korea and the Middle East and um, and their, their culture is very different from ours because their culture, they actually have a name to it. It's called the honor-shame culture, okay? And literally their entire culture is built around this idea of honor and shame. In fact, did you know that I'm a big baseball fan, all right? I love baseball. It's one of my, my passions, one thing I love. Did you know that in Japan, baseball has started to catch on around the world. Japan, baseball is really big. Did you know that in Japan, that after like, after two innings of, of overtime, of extra innings, they'll actually just end the game in a tie. Well, the, we hate that in America. We're like, we will play baseball for 14 days straight until there is a winner, okay? Because America loves a winner, right? Like, we just, we hate the idea that something would end in tie, in a tie. That's why so many people don't like soccer. Because you can sit there and watch something for two hours, and it ends zero to zero. And you go, well, that was pointless. And, and that's, only, that's only an American point of view. Literally everyone else around the world will talk about that game for days after that. Because we, we don't experience it the same way in most every other culture, especially Eastern culture. They have an honor and shame culture. Okay? Um, uh, for example, uh, in Afghanistan, right? Like when we go and we minister to refugees from Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, when we go and minister to those refugees, man, they will, they will invite you in. And in a refugee world, inviting you in means they like pick the tarp up so that you can come under it with them. And they will invite you in, and they don't even speak your language. You don't speak their language. But they will offer you everything they own. And we would mark them and their family with a lot of shame. And we do it backwards, right? You come to my house, I say, would you like a cup of coffee? And you say no. All the time, right? Hey, can I get you something? Sometimes i got to ask 15 times before somebody will just say, fine, give me the cup of coffee, you know? Fine. Listen, like, this is how we roll a lot of times. But I want you to hear me say, like, in most other cultures, to say no is more than just, well, I guess they like my coffee, you know. Like, to say no is actually to mark shame on them. It's to say, I don't want, you're not good enough for me. I don't want what you have. And guys, I think there's something we can learn from that about the way we deal with shame, about the way that, that, we understand, guys, listen to me, the opposite of shame is honor. The opposite of shame is honor. That's why they call it an honor-shame culture. Because what they want to do is not just not show shame, but they want, we want to show honor to others. This is why when, we would go, um, <clears throat> when I would go to India and hang out with the believers there, they would, they would, have, they would have one chair, one chair, that was it. 
And they, they searched for weeks to find that chair and bring it in so that I would have somewhere to sit. And they would refuse. If I said, no, thank you, I don't want to sit there, then just nobody would sit on the chair. Because they wanted to give honor. Okay? It's not just about not marking shame. It was actually about giving honor. And guys, listen, the shame of our sin actually causes us all to lose honor before God. And that's why it's so painful. All right, here's the third problem with sin. If you're taking notes, write this down. The third problem with sin is separation. In verse 10, God asks Adam what I believe is the most haunting question in the entire Bible. And let me be frank with you. There are some haunting things in that book. But this is the most haunting question, I believe, in all of Scripture. In verse 10, God asks Adam, where are you? Where are you? See, for the first time in human history, man and God were separated. Before that, God and man walked around together in the garden. Like, we can't comprehend that. Because God, for some of us, is spiritual, mystical, uh, far, distant, away. But guys, listen, in God's design, God walks with man. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve could hear the footsteps of God in the garden. Like, oh, what that must have been like. You know what's amazing is we don't hear about that in chapter 2. You know why? Because that was normal. That was part of God's design. Now all of a sudden, there's shame and guilt involved and separation, and now all of a sudden, we hear footsteps. Oh, Dad's coming. We hear footsteps. And God asks the haunting question, where are you? It is not because God lost Adam, all right? God is not dependent on MapQuest directions. It is because now, for the first time ever, there has been separation in their relationship. This is what sin does. Sin separates us from God. And let me tell you something. Our goal should be to love God so much that the guilt we can deal with, the shame we can figure out and get over, but the separation, knowing that we could be with the God who made us and knows us and loves us, but now because of what I've done, I've created separation in this relationship, man, that ought to tear us to pieces. Man, that ought to destroy us. Man, to know that we, we caused this. That God wants relationship with us. He wants to be with us. But when we sin, it is a conscious decision every time to leave God. Sin is not doing immoral things. Sin is walking away from a relationship with God. And every time we sin, Every time, we have to make a conscious decision that we love something else more than we love God. That's what sin does. Guys, to, to us, to believers, this needs to be way more than a get-out-of-jail thing or a morality issue. Guys, this is a love issue. 
This is the fact that I am capable. Someone who sings songs and talks about how much I love God and would do anything for God, but yet I'm living in a pattern, right? Where, where we can live in these patterns where we will consciously make decisions to go in this moment, I love this, doing this, more than I love you. And every time we sin, that's what we do. Guys, it's the separation that ought to kill us that ought to destroy us. But notice they, they didn't just hide from God. I mean, they hid from each other. And that's what sin does, right? It doesn't just from God. Church, it separates you from the church. It separates you from other believers. That's what sin does. And part of it is because we're scared, right? We're scared someone's going to find out our secrets. We're, we're scared of the consequences of what this sin will have. And, and to be honest, sometimes we're even just scared of God, right? But here's what I think. I think God's response of looking for Adam speaks volumes. Because here's what it shows us. That it is while we are in our guilt and our shame that God pursues us. So the truth is that our sin puts us in a very serious situation before God and before other people. But the truth also is that praise God, God doesn't leave it that way. And so I want to share with you guys as we, as we finish up today, I want to share with you guys three answers for you today. Because this is not just about don't sin. Everybody leave here and just knock it off, all right? That's not what today is about. Today is about understanding the seriousness of our sin and understand the amazing answer that God provides for us. So sin is always the problem, and the answer is always what? Jesus. So somebody write down the answer of Jesus. Here is the answer of Jesus. Jesus, I believe, very clearly does three things for us. And I'm going to read some now because I'm going to point us to Jesus. I'm going to take us to the New Testament. So I'm going to do this kind of fast. So feel free to flip along in your Bible or you can just write down the reference uh, so you can go back and read it later. All right. So here's number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus brings freedom to our guilt. Jesus brings freedom to our guilt. That question, where are you? That is the first example of God the Father seeking His children who are in trouble. It's the first example we see, but we would see it all throughout Scripture because then God sends Jesus who, who did not know guilt. Jesus never did anything to be guilty of. Jesus never did anything. He faced the same temptation you and I face. Everything that makes us want to, to sin against God, Jesus faced. But Jesus never sinned. Jesus never experienced guilt. And so for the first time, there was someone walking the earth who was not guilty before God. And so only Jesus could come and remove these chains of guilt that you and I walk in. Um, let me show you what I mean. In the book of John, chapter 16. I'm going to read John 16, uh, verses 8 through 11. Listen to this. John 16, 8 through 11. It says, And when He comes, He will convict the world. Now, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I want you to listen to what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
Jesus says right here that when the Holy Spirit comes, that He is going to convict the world of sin. Guys, that is where guilt comes from. But as a believer, listen to me, we are not called to walk in guilt. We are called to walk in conviction. Guilt leaves you in chains. Conviction gives you the freedom to walk out of that sin and back to the Father. Guilt leaves you bound in your chains. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts you, and that means you now have a pathway and a freedom to leave your sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and come back to your relationship with God. That is really good news for us. Listen to this other verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Man, this needs to be somebody's life verse today. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For our sake... Our sake, for my sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You understand that? That God made Jesus who didn't know sin. He had no sin. He never sinned. And literally caused Jesus to become our sin. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just take our sin. The Bible says he became our sin. The penalty, the death for our sin, our consequences, our punishment on Jesus. And then we became, oh, get this, the righteousness of God. Are you kidding me? You know what that means? That means one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be immediately convicted of everything I've done wrong just by being in the presence of His beauty and His splendor. And he's going to look at me and he's going to see that I believed in Jesus and that I followed Jesus and my sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. And he's going to look at me and say, oh, you are perfect. You are righteous. Everything you are is right, not wrong. Do you understand that in God's eyes, if you have Jesus, you are righteous. You are not guilty anymore. If you got Christ with you and you are walking side by side for Him, guilt doesn't know your name anymore. Only righteousness. And you may look at yourself in the mirror and see a messed up, broken human. But when God looks at you, He sees none of it. That's not even fair. Like, we ought to be upset by that. That's not, that's not justice, right? But then we look to the cross. And we see the perfect justice of God taken out. He that didn't know sin became sin so that we would be out of sin and become the righteousness, the perfection, the, the holiness of God. That's who we are. Um, number two, write this down. God provides a covering to our shame. God provides a covering to our shame. Notice in verse 7, they, they were ashamed, so they made underwear out of fig leaves, Right? And what's amazing is that if you go further down towards the end of the chapter, God says that's not good enough. And in verse 21, God takes off the fig leaves and makes them underwear made out of skin. Isn't that interesting? The only way to make them cloths out of skin is to kill something. For the first time in human history, we see that the consequence of sin was death. But we see that God, out of His love for humans, for us, instead of taking out His anger and killing us, He killed an animal instead. 
And then he used that death to cover Adam and Eve so that they would no longer be in shame. Guys, that's what Jesus has done for each of us. God has punished Jesus and taken out his, his wrath of our sin on him and then now covers us with Jesus' blood so that no longer are we walking around in shame of our sin or our past or what we've done. You now are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. You are righteous. You are a daughter. You are a son. You are infinitely, covenantly loved by God. Throughout the Old Testament, God would call His people to make sacrifices of certain animals to forgive their sin. See guys, the fact is sin is so serious, it requires death for forgiveness to be granted. The common sacrifice was a lamb. This lamb had to be without blemish, it had to be spotless, and had to basically be perfect to be accepted by God because God is perfect. And that's the only sacrifice He would accept. Well, after a while, the sacrifices just weren't doing it for God's people. God's people kept sinning, and they were experiencing no relationship and no intimacy with God, their Creator. They kept making sacrifices. They kept doing the religious duty, but nothing was working. So God sent Jesus. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 29. In John 1, 29, it says, The next day, John the Baptist, that's who he is, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. Instead of leaving us in our shame, Jesus comes, lives a perfect life so that He could offer up His perfect life to cover our shame. Now, you don't stand before God ashamed for what you've done. You can boldly approach God's throne in prayer today, in worship today, from your seat today, not feeling ashamed, broken, beaten up, judged, sent away. You can confidently approach His throne amazed, not ashamed, because Jesus has forgiven your sin. He has taken away the sin and the guilt and the shame that you once bore, and you bear it no more. You bear it no more. You are now righteous in God's eyes. But you got to cling to Jesus. You can't just keep doing it on your own. You can't keep trying to be good enough. You can't keep trying to be moral enough. You can't keep trying to give enough money or make sure your church attendance is perfect. you got to cling to Jesus. And when you cling to Jesus, He's going to do the hard work that leads you to right living. But you got to cling to Jesus. Man, you are no longer to be shamed. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are rescued. You are redeemed. Are you kidding me? This is the best news I've ever heard. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. And worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. But I want you to write this down. Number three is God seeks those who are distant. Something weird happens in verse 20. Adam names his wife Eve, and that word means living. But doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Like, come on, Adam, read the room, bro. You're wearing animal skins. Don't think naming your wife living is like fitting the narrative of this story. 
But what's amazing is that he does this and it is actually a foreshadowing to see that God has a mission and a rescue plan to take us who were full of shame and full of guilt and yet the fact is we're not just disowned and bring us back to life. Listen, the fact is we're not just distant because of our sin, we're dead. Spiritually, inwardly, dead. But listen to how the Bible ends. I want you to see that you may feel that way in your life, but you don't have to stay that way. You are not your past. You are not who other people say you are. When you get on and people say, I thought you did this or you always do this, that's not who you are. Listen to me, when you have Jesus, you are the righteousness of Christ in God's eyes. So listen to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Listen to me, this is so important. The sea was no more. Do you know what oceans do to land? They separate them. And John gets a vision of heaven, and there's no more separation. Oh, church, listen, there's coming a day when all those covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus will no longer be separated from our Creator. We will hear His footsteps in the garden again. He will be back with us. There will be no more where are you's. For we will be with Him and He will be with us. The sea will be no more. There will be no more separation. No more can He hear me. Did He hear me? Are my prayers working? Oops, I forgot a quiet time today. No more of that. No more distance. Personal, intimate, closeness, walking with Him for eternity. But let's just read the rest for kicks says, And I saw a holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is God. And He said, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Come on. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He said, I ain't sending Jesus anymore. I've already done that, accomplished that. Now you're getting me. He will wipe, and what's God going to do? Judge us? Make us feel guilty? Bring us full of shame? Pull out the checklist of all the wrong things we've done? Well, let's find out. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be any mourning, or crying, or pain anymore. For those things have passed away. Come on. So church, listen. The problem is always our sin. But there is an answer today. And His name is Jesus. And you can have Jesus. It is not too late. If you are loving your sin more than you're loving God today, you have not missed the cutoff. It is not too late for you to say, no, I want that. I want the God that's going to wipe away my tears, that's going to remove my shame, that's going to break the chains of my guilt. I want to be with the God who loves me endlessly, who is going to destroy death and pain and sorrow and mourning. I want to be with Him. Man, I'm tired of loving this. I want to love that God. It is not too late for you to do that today. 
If you're a believer in Jesus, here's what you get to do. You get to repent of that. You don't have to. You get to. You get to leave your sin and walk to God. You get to do that. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.